Broadsheet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Shared History. Leave history behind. That's where it belongs. In the past. Because it's history. Because sometimes in life, you gotta put your behind in the past. Yeah. Thanks, Pumbaa. Pumbaa gets it. Not in front of the kids. <laughs> Pumbaa understands. But our past is behind us. But you know what? Sometimes it... it is with us sometimes it's before us and sometimes it's not with us and we need to keep it with us so that we don't put our behinds in our past pasts in a listen i don't need anyone telling me where to put my behind <laughs> i tried that once it did not go well i will put my behind <laughs> wherever i damn well please hell yeah hey listeners where you putting your behind? <laughs> how low can i talk yeah. Uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> We've Cass and I just realized before hitting record that we actually haven't recorded an episode together in a month. And I said that that was false. And then Natalie told Referred me to the, the date. spreadsheet. <laughs> God bless Natalie's spreadsheets. And then I said, "Oh, it's November. <laughs> I don't know when I am. I am behind me. I'm behind." Oh man. Cass, there's something behind you. Oh, shit. Oh, it's God. you. I can't do that. It's me. It's you from five minutes ago. <laughs> Cass, I'm excited to be back here in our little Zoom room together. Oh, Lord. Now, I keep, I for like 45 minutes chatting before we started recording. We, I said, I, we did. Honestly, if anything, to shake our sillies out because it's going to get silly. And I just kept saying, Natalie, I am so excited for my, I, you know, I'm excited for you because my topic's going to tickle you. And she's like, okay, I'm getting nervous now because I wouldn't yeah. stop saying it. Here's here's a fun fact about me. Um, I don't handle suspense well. All forms of suspense scares me. And so. you know what, dear readers, <laughs> I know that. So knowing that it was probably going to take us a while to get into recording, Planted I it. just anticipated the hell out of Natalie. The second Cass logged on, she planted the seed of suspense. And it, let me tell you, it has blossomed into a sturdy, a mighty oak tree. But it's not even Cass's turn to go first. So I have to get through my story. Natalie, this how long have we been recording together? A thousand years. A thousand years. Six seasons. I know how to keep things fresh. You know how to torture me slowly. <laughs> And make you love every minute of it. <laughs> oh, man. Our listeners are like, do they need a Zoom room? Can you guys get a Zoom room? Joke's on you. We're in one right now. <laughs> I'm going to dig in to my story just because God knows I'm not going to be able to keep it together to get to yours. Okay. But you got to actually like try, like do a good job. Don't just like zip through it to get to mine. <laughs> I'm going to sprint. Before I get started, I want to make sure that all of our listeners know something that I sent you on the internets today, Ooh. which is the fact that if you'll recall, 
once upon a couple seasons ago, Cass told us the story of Joseph Ballone. And we also just mentioned him in our recent episode when Cass talked to us about Samuel Coleridge Taylor. There is a movie about Joseph Ballone, the Chevalier of Saint Chevalier Saint George, right? Or something. Yep. Like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be called Chevalier. It comes out. It, maybe it's already out. It's 2022 is the release date, so I don't know. It's November, so there's only so much 2022 left. Yeah. So very excited. That's not my discovery for today because I didn't want to sit on that information the whole time. I just wanted to let you know right now, listeners. It looks very sexy. It lo- mini drivers in it. Sexy. Anything Ooh. mini drivers in. So sexy. Big fan. Huge. Okay. Enough about that. I am going to go. My topic will bring us back to something that I have also previously mentioned in an episode, though. Once upon an episode with Dr. Natalia Molina, I believe that I mentioned uh, much to the group then bullying me that when I read, I highlight things <laughs> that I want to look up later. Not like they're not words that I know, but like if somebody from history inter- or an event from history intersects the plot of whatever I'm reading, I'll highlight it. And then later I'll be like, why did, what did I highlight this book? And then it'll just be some, it'll just be a noun, uh, <laughs> usually a noun. So to make good on that and not just be, say that, first of all, to hold myself to actually looking up one of those things. And secondly, to prove that I do the, the thing that I said, because no one trusts me. I'm so untrustworthy. So untrustworthy. Today, I bring you the story of someone I could have known about and probably should have encountered (laughs) at some point, but I highlighted this woman's name while I was reading The Essex Serpent earlier this year, and that person is Eleanor Marx, Karl Marx's daughter. (gasps) This is why I say I could have encountered Mm -hmm. them at some point. Why was Eleanor Marx in The Essex Serpent? It's a long story. One of the main characters in the book is a socialist feminist, and she attends a meeting that Eleanor Marx is a speaker at. You're talking about a socialist female feminist? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, Interesting. Interesting. Okay, continue. The tree is shaking. The suspense tree. (laughs) (laughs) That's strong oak. (laughs) Eleanor was a socialist activist and a highly sought-after orator, so in the Essex Serpent. If you watch the TV show, which I highly recommend, <laughs> oh, Tom Hiddleston. What's the TV clerk. show on? Uh, Apple? <laughs> I don't remember. Just by the Apple? height of your voice, I know you have no clue. <laughs> HBO? It's can't one of it. those three because I can't remember. It's <laughs> great. It's Claire Danes and Tom Hiddleston. Reading the book and knowing that Tom Hiddleston was cast in the role, I was confused, and then it totally worked. Eleanor Marks is not in the TV show. The character who she intersects with is slightly underwritten, but in a way that serves the show in the show. But it's not about that. Okay. Where are we? London. The slums Mm -hmm. of London. 1855. Probably not the slums, just like a small flat in 1855 London. Eleanor Marx is born into this world, nicknamed 
for some reason, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you her nickname and I'm never going to use it again because I, I hate it. Tussie. <laughs> I'm Tussie. only calling, I don't know. Tussie. Eleanor is called Tussie? Yep. I'm only calling her Tussie. It's what her family called her and I hate it. Her family, which of course included dear old Papa Carl, who homeschooled Eleanor at the kitchen table. Of course he fucking homeschooled. So yeah, so yeah. Under the tutelage of dear old daddy Marks, Eleanor is immense, becomes immensely interested in literature and politics at a young age. So hold on, Karl Marx, that's the guy with the bushy eyebrows in the silent films, right? <laughs> no, that's uh, Groucho. Oh God, I always get those two confused. I know, one of them, <laughs> one of them wrote the Communist Manifesto and the other one just kept like <laughs> tripping on ladders. <laughs> Which one might say, what is communism if not people tripping on ladders? They Actually, could... that's not communism at all. That's capitalism, if anything. Oh, the wow. The problem with that, Cass, is that if you and I think about it, we can force that to work. Like, we yeah. can force that to be a real bit. But we don't have the time. It's literally the only reason I brought Groucho up. <laughs> okay, continue. Okay. It's not about that. It's not about Groucho. It's not even really about Carl. It's about Eleanor. So she starts, she loves literature. She's like reciting passages of Shakespeare by age three. And we love, a, we love a woman who will write a letter. She's writing letters to political figures before she's even a teen. Fuck off. Father taught her well. But like, that's me snapping into the mic. Imagine, Cass, imagine you're being homeschooled by Karl Marx. He's just sitting on the other side of the kitchen table, like noodling on what will eventually be the Communist Manifesto or as <laughs> appropriately at the timing, uh, Das Kapital. He's just, literally like teaching ABCs over here and writing the Communist Manifesto over here on this side of the table. Dad can do it all. He's just Papa Marx rocking those new balances and and then also teaching you a new balance of <laughs> quality among the working class damn that that was beautiful thanks i'm kind of a big deal <laughs> there is a biographer who's written extensively about eleanor and an article by her is actually one of my main sources her name is rachel holmes and she has this quote about this kind of stage in eleanor's life where she calls her tussie uh, and the quote is Tussie's childhood intimacy with her father while he wrote the first volume of Das Kapital provided her with a thorough grounding in British economic, political, and social history. Tussie and Capital grew up together. So as he's writing the book, he's also, he's shaping the book and he is shaping his daughter. She's not even the only kid in the family, but she seems special and I'll allow it. At 16, she becomes dad's secretary and she travels with him to international socialist conferences. I think it's at one of these traveling events that she maybe first meets Prosper Olivier, Le uh, I should have looked up how to pronounce this name, Lisa Garay, who is a journalist and a participant of the Paris Commune, who when the Paris Commune got kind of like shut down and uh, attacked if you will fled to london she falls in love with him there's an age gap so carl mm. is like not not my eleanor and doesn't approve of their relationship but she helps 
Prosper Olivier write the history of the commune of 1871. Carl digs the book. He agrees with the dude's political beliefs, but uh, doesn't approve the match. But then by the time dear old dad comes around for whatever reason, I just, this it has no bearing on the rest of her story. I just think it's a fun thing of, daddy, I love him. No, you can't be with him, but I love him. They live together for a while and for like almost a decade. And then dad is like, okay, I approve. And then Eleanor goes, nah, and ends the relationship. <laughs> daddy likes him? Nah, we're done. Not for me. Uh, cut to 1884. So Eleanor joins the Social Democratic Federation where she meets Edward Aveling. And I want to read this line from Wikipedia because it is slightly savage. Mm. Line just says, Edward Aveling, with whom she would spend the rest of her life despite his faithlessness, thievery from the movement, and mental cruelty. Wow. Whoever added that to Wiki is like a doing this God's was doing God's work. He was not treating his ladies right. And we do not stand a faithless or what was it mentally and thievery from the movement. So they're saying like, not only is Edward was Edward Aveling not great for Eleanor, he's bad. He's bringing down the whole movement. Uh-uh, not gonna we'll do not that, stand not gonna for stand it. for it. I will get more into Edward later and you'll understand this more thoroughly. Um, I'm just going to say that this man is the definition of stay toxic, baby. <laughs> I don't want to talk about him, though, because I want to get through Eleanor as Eleanor. Uh, yes. Yes. Independent from douchebag suitors and what they inflicted upon her. So we'll focus on Eleanor, but I will spill the tea on Edward because it becomes relevant. Cass, we have to take an ad break. Fair enough. We're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. Eleanor is with the Social Democratic Federation for a year before her and a few others leave and start a rival organization called the Socialist League. Eleanor is a disenfranchised woman in Victorian Britain. She is educated, but only because of her father. She has no right to education. She grew up in a not affluent community. She's incredibly sensitive to the strife of the working class and especially that of the working woman who nobody mm. they're not not being talked to but they're not the focus of the movement she right. also is jewish and strongly identifies with her jewish heritage and is proud of it so she's smart she's organized and she's a hell of a speaker I don't know if this came before or after she became was a like 
revered orator, but I read something that she was a something called her a failed actress. And so I like to think that her failed acting career made her a hell of a public speaker. Oh, hell yeah. She's like, don't give me somebody else's words to say. I'll say my own thank you. Why do you think I'm such a good teacher? <laughs> <laughs> For real. I'm literally just improvising every scene from uh, Dead Poet Society every day. I love it. I would yeah. I would love to be in that class. I've not my yet, desk for you. <laughs> I I was gonna say I have not yet stood on a desk and I've not yet sat backwards on a chair in front <gasps> of the classroom and quote unquote gotten real with everyone. You have to Cass. I'm working up to it. You gotta give me what's who's the teacher who does that in Boy Meets World? What's his name? Feeny? No, Feeny doesn't sit backwards on a chair. Oh no, no, no. It's like it's like the sexy one who wears yeah, like the, the leather cool, jacket. The motorcycle teacher. Somebody is screaming at us right now, <laughs> that teacher's name. It's not about him, though. It's about Eleanor. Eleanor had this favorite, has a favorite motto from childhood that she said. That she's like, oh, yeah, my favorite motto from childhood. And I assume this is from dear old dad. The motto, go ahead. And so she did. Wait, uh, that's the motto? That's motto it? Is, go ahead? Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> Go ahead. You can do it. Go ahead. Try it. Do it. And she does. I mean, she lived by that. She was like, why not? Basically, basically her motto was, why not? That, that just makes me think of uh, a friend of mine who was like out at a bar and someone kept like hitting on her and she was not having it. And her friend like cut in. It was like, she doesn't want to talk to you. And it was just this whole drunk thing. And then she just put her hand in his face and she goes, be well, and walked away. <laughs> Does your friend work at like, what was it, Walgreens or CVS that will always say that? It's just like, it's just, I'm done with this and I don't want to be rude. So I'm just gonna say, be well. I wish you well and I'm getting the fuck out of here. Rejection <laughs> finds you well. And I really don't want you to be well. I can't say that because of the expectations put on women. Yeah. Anyway. Speaking anyway about women <laughs> campaigns vigorously for an eight-hour workday she these are some of the highlights she helps establish international workers day aka may day aka throw it back to lucy parsons and the haymarket riot Woo! she founds the gas workers and the general laborers union now the gmb she earns this moniker amongst those unions of uh, they call her our old stoker because that's what she's doing. She just like stoking the flames of, uh, of the labor. Heck yeah. She, Heck yeah. Heck yeah. She not, she organizes with women workers and with Jewish workers, like I mentioned, and the Jewish workers are facing anti-Semitism on top of unjust labor practices and also anti-Semitism within the labor movement itself. So she's one of the only people talking to all of these disenfranchised groups and writing and speaking for all of them. She, of course, writes for socialist publications. She tours America and Europe. She organizes socialist, socialist congresses. She raises money for other socialist leagues and socialist parties in other countries. Some uh, notable events that she was a part of, um, she helped organize the London demonstration of November 13th, 1887, which after its violent rebuke became known as Bloody Sunday. So more people would know they wouldn't know the London demonstration of November 13th, 1887. 
they would know Bloody Sunday, which mm-hmm. is their protesting about unemployment and coercion in Ireland. She plays a significant role in the founding of the Independent Labor Party in 1893. There's a quote from a speech of hers. She gives a speech at a rally in Hyde Park at the very first May Day ever. This is 1890. And this, I'm going to read this quote because it still resonates today. And that is, we aim at a time when there will no longer be one class supporting two others but the unemployed both at the top and the bottom of society will be got rid of this is not end but only the beginning of the struggle we must speak for the cause daily and make the men and especially the women that we meet come into the ranks to help us at her core eleanor is just a champion of radical reform and with it this is where things get even more nerdy for me radical cultural works so she's also known as a literary translator because she just was translating a lot of things that she felt were important into english that hadn't been in english yet so some of these are things like das kapital her dad's book yeah also madame bovary the realist novel by gustave flaubert which somehow it's been out for 30 years and had never been translated from the original french into english because it's smut but important smut i know also she basically is responsible for introducing the people of london to henrik ibsen she translates an enemy of the people which she wrote in a letter to her sister she charged a like magnificent five pounds for she like basically was like i'm not gonna charge you i'm just gonna do this and then dream birthday party okay at her 31st birthday party in her flat in london ibsen's a doll's house is performed for the first time Stop it. George Bernard Shaw plays Krogstead and Eleanor herself plays Nora. It's the first time it's ever performed and it's at her birthday party. She's amazing. She's amazing and she needs no man. But I will now talk about a man because this man stays toxic and is ultimately deemed responsible for her death. And that's why I feel like I have to bring him up. Edward Aveling, socialist. Oh, I even hate the name. No, right? <laughs> You're just like that. I don't really, but I know I'm gonna hate him. Yeah, but you also like once you hear how much of a shithead he is, like you can picture him being like, hmm, Edward, Edward, a- Edward Aveling. Like he, I just picture him so snivelly. I mean, yeah, Aveling. Like you, you have to sound snivelly to Aveling. Socialist educator, dirtbag. Shares her passion for radical culture and shares her political beliefs. But you know what he doesn't share? Her fucking badassery and intelligence. Checks out. He's dead weight, as far as I'm concerned. They lived together (laughs) for ages. Eleanor is very committed to the idea of free love, but then has to kind of wrestle with the fact that she does love this one man. And is like, well, we're not going to get married because I... I'm committed to this ideal, but also I see now like that women are pressured into marriage and I don't agree with that, but I do love you. She does love him, but they never marry. He mostly took advantage of her, her connections, her brain and like her just generosity and care. So mostly just took advantage of everything about her. He mostly is the worst. I'm telling you, stay toxic. <laughs> one such toxic thing that he did, he attempted to blackmail her about her half-brother 
that her dad had, I presumably with somebody else. That's how half brothers are made. I couldn't find any more information about that. Just that like he attempted to blackmail her. And I was like, cool, a real cool boyfriend thing to do. Hey, babe, I love you. Me. I love you, babe. Um, also, I know about your brothers. Don't be shitty because I'm going to be a dick about it. Yeah. Wait, it gets better. Oh, At one point, he abandons her removing a bunch of the furniture in their home while she's away at a meeting. He robbed her? He's like, I'm moving out and I'm taking the couch. Sir! I'm taking the couch and I am not leaving a note. Sir. Then, stay toxic, he pops back up a few months later, just moves back in, because his old kidneys kidney disease has returned and he needs her help recuperating. Shit. So this is in January 1998. <laughs> what did not, this guy do again? Uh, uh, presumably just be a dick. Like <laughs> he's a socialist educator and an oh, actor. So, he's, so he was unemployed. <laughs> yes. Yes. But like she can't hold that against him because her whole thing is like no one should be unemployed because we should all be working together. So yeah. it's the system's fault that he's unemployed, Kat. Something... I don't want to be a bad socialist over here, but something tells me he's maybe using that. Yeah. Something tells me that nobody advantage. wants to employ Edward Aveling. Yeah. So, anyway, Aveling. Anyway, so he dips, he, ro he robs his own home with her and then goes, oh no, I'm sick and comes back. So I don't know she can make him soup. <laughs> this is January, 1898. Apparently he's not doing well. Eleanor in like, correspondence with her friends and sisters basically says like this is terminal like he's not recovering from this this time all the same she's taking care of him like a doting lover she even pays for his surgery i hate him so much two months later God. This is that, that was january 1898 that he just reappears in her life because he's sick two months later march 31st 1898 eleanor marks is found dead in her home, laying face down on the bed, a victim of poisoning by <gasps> prussic acid, which is the what? same method you by which Adam Bovary dies in Flaubert's novel, which is just like haunting. A do murder mystery. Do we think mystery. this was suicide? Or do we think this was It murder? is. An inquest rules it as a suicide. However. I was gonna say, of course they're gonna rule it a suicide. Marx had discovered that Aveling had secretly married one of his former students a year prior and set her up in an apartment using Eleanor's money. Upon discovery of this, just days before she is found dead, she removes Aveling as her sole beneficiary on her will and writes like a really long cover letter to accompany the change to send to the lawyer. Her death is ruled a suicide. In fact, Edward's claim is that it was a suicide pact, seeing as he was not don't do it so hot. Oh my God. He's like, well, I was gonna die and she couldn't bear to live without me. So she killed herself before Fuck I could off. die. Fuck off. Like I'm gonna die naturally at some point soon, probably. So she decided to kill herself today. <laughs> it's 
the suicide is contested by like her friends because she is like a full diary of engagements planned of like professional speaking engagements planned nothing in her like written correspondence or journal makes it seem like she was intending to die anytime soon in fact she had like plans that she had made for basically after edward's death like she was taking she was kind of on pause taking care of him but like she had once this happens this inevitable thing i'm taking a vacation i'm treating myself and then i'm gonna do some more socialist stuff also also as if this circumstantial stuff wasn't enough her housekeeper gertie gentry great name great name great name overheard the two of them fight was then sent to the pharmacist with a sealed envelope containing a note from edward to get quote chloroform and a small quantity of prussic acid for the dog and then when she finds eleanor dead being poisoned by this acid edward is mia and has taken with him the revised will and the letter to the lawyer what the lawyer eventually it comes out like he does successfully buy the lawyer's silence so fuck that lawyer but her friends are like, listen, nothing Edward is saying matches with what Gertie is saying. And his alibi is shit. We know that he had a side piece. Nothing is adding up. This isn't suicide. So there's like an inquest. But before the inquest like comes to, before, before justice is served, Aveling does in fact die before the end of the year. I think he dies in August. Oh, thank God. Right? So this is March and I think he dies before the end of the summer. And so at that point, they just kind of like stop investigating or whatever. So he didn't get any of her shit, did he? I don't know. If he did, he died before he could probably really. Good, 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 good. Right? So as uh, I really like this quote, it's from biographer Rachel Holmes. She writes, Eleanor Marx's death was tragic. Her life was not. So I don't Hell want to about yeah. her death, but her death is intriguing and also just like an opportunity to be like, fuck this guy. Yeah. And we love taking an opportunity to say, fuck this guy. Fuck yeah. Fuck mediocre white men. But Eleanor, she was, oh my God, she was brilliant. She was brilliant. She was accomplished. She challenged boundaries and like pushed boundaries. She was adored she was incredibly disciplined and she made a hell of an impact and she continues to do so and her name came up in a book i read and i thought i feel like i should know about Karl marx's daughter and i'm glad that i looked her up because it's just just as influential as as pops there's a movie that came out about her in 2020 called miss marx however if i were to i don't remember i didn't really look at the imdb so i don't know who the casting was i don't think it was a name actress like an actress name that i recognize playing her i would love for you to look at a picture of eleanor marks and help me figure out who would play eleanor marks because all i've got is like a young helena bottom carter but i feel like we could do better than that because she that feels like obvious right feels a little obvious like any uh kind of outspoken Victorian could be played by Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. Also, I feel like she just has like very distinctive brows. And so I'm like, ooh, there's somebody who she kind of looks like and I can't put my finger on it, so. I know exactly, I'm looking at a picture of her now. And sometimes your brain is exactly about my bra- uh, like my brain, but better, so. 
Okay, hear me out here. The daughter in Fiddler on the Roof, the 70s version, who plays Chava. Okay. Neva Small. Like, specifically from that. that. Like, you got to fix her brows. You got to give her brunettes. At this one specific picture I'm looking at, like, that's that's what I'm vibing with. That's what's stuck in my head. I 100% see that. I 100% see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes. I think there's probably a better option out there, but, like, that's the thing. That's the image that was stuck in my head. Probably, but I can't think of who it is. Because she does. Yeah, I know there's someone better. She has, she just has like a very prominent brow line, which immediately made me want to be like Jennifer Connelly or Rachel Mm -hmm. Weiss. And I went straight for the mouth because I don't hear well. So I always look at people's mouths when they talk. So that's the first thing I went to. And that mouth is Nava Small. Yes, I agree. Okay. I am, I'm co signing this, but I'm also saying, dear readers, uh, if you want to look up a picture or look in the show notes, check out Eleanor Marks. And mm-hmm. if you can remember, if you can think of the actor that we can't think of, but mm-hmm. that would be perfect to play her, please let us know. Yeah. We know there's a better option, but we'll sign Nava Small on. Yeah. Young we'll Nava Small. We'll go to Small. Time, machine, time Machine and sign a young Nava Small. So, Natalie. Yes. If ever we were to pick the same topic. <laughs> no, we got what? I never would have guessed it would have been this episode. And it could not literally not has been closer than it fucking is readers you don't know this but natalie i don't know if she was just like oh Cass is rolling her eyes because evelyn is such a dick no i was rolling my eyes because we basically have the same this is this is like when readers we didn't establish even a generic like even a oh a, an inkling of a theme for this episode we no talk we, we haven't really, spoken in a month basically earlier this week we were like we still had to record this week that was the most we talked about today's episode so this isn't even like when we when we came with emus and hippos and that was <laughs> because this... all we had established for that was i don't know general shenaniganery and this one's I... closer than emus and this is closer than emus and hippos. I'm going to start an idiom that it's like, oh, yeah, it's like emus and hippo. <laughs> it, it means the same thing. It means the opposite of apples and oranges. <laughs> it's like comparing emus and hippos. Natalie, mm-hmm. when are we? 1858. Oh, my God. Where are we? London, England. What? Okay. is three years old. What's popping? <laughs> Who are we? Karl Marx. Edith Nesbitt, a socialist children's book writer with a hashtag stay toxic husband who created her own socialist party. I am. They know each other. I've been Googling furiously. Like they knew. Find out if they, they like hung out together with George Bernard Shaw and and, Henrik Ibsen. Oh, cause guess what? What? Edith took a lover. (gasps) A few. What if Edith was one of which old student who, what if Edith was the other woman? Edith had a thing with George Bernard Shaw. What? She was probably at the birthday. She was at that birthday. 
Like I'm I'm over here rolling my eyes and like face palming and you're like, oh my god, Cass is so into my story. And I'm like, yes, I am, but like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm they what they knew each other. They had to have. She was born in 1858. She's three years younger than Yeah. Than Eleanor. They had to know each other. Wait, like, she started what the a... fuck? Oh my god, I can't wait. I can't wait. Google Google her face. Because, like, casting could be tricky between the two. Oh, my God. Look, I'm okay. thinking that Eddie Redmayne could play either of them. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think Eddie's too delicate to play either of them. That's God true. love He's him. He's too delicate of a constitution. But I do want to just... Sweet baby boy. No, I just like the idea that no matter who we're talking about, Eddie Redmayne can and would would be in the running. He'd be in the mix. He could play both Aveling and Eleanor. Oh. <laughs> Dual casting. I, I cannot get over it. Like, I cannot. Okay. Wow. Woo. Bring me in. Let me freak out. Are, we are. I, I was more excited before we started. And then I, my anticipation built. I got got. You got got. Okay, I got got. Um, Edith, <laughs> Edith Nesbitt was born in, in England, in London, in 1858, three years after Eleanor Marks. She's, she's an English poet. She's a writer. She published under E. Nesbitt. Her father died tragically when she was four. And her older sister had, like, tuberculosis or some, you know, Victorian disease. Uh, where they like traveled it's around for yeah for to find good air for her. Oh yes, um, they go to Bath. They went to Bath. So some of my sources say that she traveled all around with her mom and her siblings. Some sources said that she went off to like boarding school or something. They didn't have a lot of money though. She traveled around. She lived as a nomad. I think she lived with an aunt at some point. So she's kind of this like. I've been all over. I'm nomadic. I've grown up kind of without a traditional family. My dad died. My mom's all over. Her sister ended up dying at like age 12. But, but bitch is like, bitch is like a badass. Okay. So when she was 18 or 19, she met this banker. I can't remember his name, but she was engaged to him when she was like 17, 18. And then she met this banker's friend, Hubert Bland. Okay. <laughs> but he was anything but. Oh, what's he some spicy? of my articles. He was spicy. So she's engaged to this dude. She met his best friend. And she's like, um, I'm sorry. I got the hots for Hubert, right? Hubert. Would, we can't resist a Hubert. No one can resist a Hubert. So she breaks off her engagement. She starts seeing Huber. It's like hot. It's heavy. And he's like, he's only, he's like three years older than her. So the age range, especially for Victoria times, pretty close together. She, they start fucking around and she gets pregnant. Oh, no. And when she's seven months pregnant, they get married. She, they didn't live together initially. She goes, or he goes and lives like with his mother and her housekeeper or whatever and she goes and lives on her own to kind of like hide and convalesce so no one knows that she was pregnant out of wedlock. Oh, okay. 
while Hubert's living with his mom, he starts fucking around with the housekeeper. Damn it. Alice. And then Alice gets pregnant. And she doesn't know about any of this. And then... Let's just say that Bland Bland is a very potent man. (laughs) He is so potent. He had like over 15 lovers. He had six children with three different women. While Edith is convalescing and um, having her baby in private so that people don't know that she was had a baby out of wedlock. He's hooking up with his mom's house lady, all right? And he's fucking around over there. And then they move in together and like she finds out about the other lady, but she's like I'm I'm bohemian. I can be cool. Like we are socialists. We're we're cool, we're hip, we're with it. Like I I can be okay with this. I can be okay with this. Again, she would get along then with Eleanor, who believed in free love. Exactly. And and she did and she didn't. She did. But there's a difference between free love and like um, Hubie being a dick. Yeah. So they end up founding the Fabian Society in 1884. Hubert Bland, Edith Nesbitt and six other um, gentlemen, they started this socialist society called the fabian society it was meant to advance the principles of social democracy and democratic socialism through the idea of gradualism so like they were living pretty like racy lives um they were it was kind of that salon culture like they would have they would mentor these famous poets and all of that and you know they would have parties and they're fucking around and whatnot but their idea of socialism, social socialism, was like, we're not gonna get this change by like just like being in people's faces, which is interesting because that's not really the way they live their lives. That's also the exact opposite of the Socialist League, which Eleanor started. Was that th- that very quickly turned to anarchism, like yeah. social anarchism, which it was a lot more like radical and revolutionary yeah action. and and so like you know they knew each other and they're probably like mm, that eleanor march she's like hurting the cause she's thieving from the movement by trying to do too much That's too quick edward <laughs> so so when she married hubert he was an entrepreneur which means he's poor. He got no money. Got he it. was a swindler. He was like, you know, not a con artist, but he he talked himself up a lot more. And I think her mom was like, don't, maybe don't. Maybe don't. But she fell in love with him. They got married. Um, she was like an amazing poet. And so she already kind of had gained notoriety for her poetry. She wrote like, romance stories that were like published in zines and stuff and she began supporting the family completely with her writing the dream the dream i mean not the dream to have like a deadbeat partner who's not contributing but like i know to pay all of the bills with her writing the dream um so she's she's 
was popular in her day and successful in her day and pretty early on. Hubert was out fucking around. She had some dalliances. George Bernard Shaw being one of them. Um, obsessed. That one they suspect is platonic. I think she had the hots for him and he was like, nah. But that's one of those where there's no proof one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But I think he was younger and she tended to have this mentor role with young male writers. And so it's very possible. Um, she also fucked around with H.G. Wells and then a poet, a French poet, Richard Lagallian. But yeah, so so they had this kind of bohemian lifestyle that people in and out like I think it was H.G. Wells, maybe it was George Bernard Shaw was like, oh, like the Bland House was the place to be like Friday afternoon. I had to make sure I raced over there to make sure I got a bed because I think people would just like party there and crash. I just love that it's called the Bland House and it was I know Bland House is the place to be. Hell yeah. Nothing that you said made sense. What? What uh what what made me look more into her is I saw this article that was like the sex life of the children's writer and like the sordid stories of the yada da and like every article about her is just like salacious and sexy, but she's just a children's writer, yada da 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 and I'm like, I need more. Oh, she's a socialist? Oh my god. She's a woman providing for the entire Everything family. About these provocative daily mail headlines is worth <laughs> She did really love Hubert, but like again, stay toxic. How much of that is love and how much of that is like toxic? Yeah. Oh, Cass, you definitely said something on this episode that was so on brand. What do you mean? You know, like you have a brand. The way you look and communicate, what you place value in, all of that is your brand. Just typical you being you. Oh. How do you know so much about brands? Oh, well, I've worked with Bates Marone's Sweet Design. Who? Bates Marone. They're a boutique branding, marketing, and web design agency based in Chicago. They've got great strategists, designers, and copywriters who all work together to make brands better. How do they do that? They combine research and storytelling. They find out why a brand is the way that it is, and then they bundle all that up into a nice little package for the business to take with them and use going forward. Shoot, that sounds great. Right? Well, are they just for huge corporations though? Oh, absolutely not. They have experience with all sorts of clients from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Ooh, fancy. Mm Mm-hmm. If you want to see some of their past client work, learn more about their processes, see what it takes to join the team, or if you're just ready to schedule a meeting, go to their website, BatesMarone.com. That's B-A-T-E-S-M-E-R-O-N.com. So she was pregnant, and one of her good, good friends, Alice uh, Hotson, would stay with her when Hubert was off Gallivanting. Working. Um, Yes. Gallivanting, working, doing his thing. So so that she wasn't alone, her friend Alice would stay with her. And it was a difficult pregnancy. Alice was with her when she gave birth, and she gave birth to a stillborn. And it was this, like, huge traumatic thing for her. Like, it hit her so hard. Alice was her rock while her husband was off fucking around. Alice is there for her. And, like, there's a story of 
Alice had to like pry the dead baby out of her hands. Um, and, and she like, she was at rock for her. She's like, I'm here for you. So like four months later, Alice gives birth to a baby. Hmm. Guess, guess, guess who the, the dad is? Is it Hubert? It's Hubert. What if it was like, it's Edward Avely. Avelyn. <laughs> so, so like, Alice is like, like her rock, her godsend. She gets her through all of this. And then Alice comes to her and is like, girl, I'm pregnant. And she won't, she doesn't tell her who the father is. And Edith is like, okay, I remember when I was pregnant out of wedlock and it was a scary time. It was shameful. And I wish I would have had someone to take me in. It's my girl, Alice. I'm going to take her in. I'm going to pretend that it's my baby. They, uh, Alice gives birth to a baby girl named Rosamond. Edith adopts her as her own. Then a few months later, Alice is like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's Hubert's. Mm. All hell breaks loose. Like, imagine the betrayal. She's already, like, essentially adopted this girl. She finds out. She's like, Alice, take your shitty baby. Hubert, you get out of here. Or she's, she tries to send Alice and Rosamond away. And Hubert says, well, they leave. I leave. And she loved him. And she didn't want him to leave. So Alice stayed. And Rosamond stayed. And Rosamond uh, stayed like they told Rosamond her whole life that um, Edith was her mother. Edith did have uh, two of her own children. One of them was named Fabian after the Fabian Society. And Alice, Alice lived with them the whole time. Like she's like Alice in the Brady Bunch. Like she's there. Yeah. She's she's got her own square that she's looking up and down around people. Alice ended up having another baby. So first of all. Edith adopted Rosamond. Everyone thinks this is Rosamond Bland. Yeah. Edith hated Rosamond. Like, it was kind of kind of bad. Because Rosamond thinks this is her mom, right? Yeah. It's not even like... Trauma that there's a there's going to be a big therapy bill. Yeah, there's a... There's a you know, she's going to have to go to your her buddy, Carl Marx, to get some therapy. Well, that's not exactly what Carl did. Anyway, I bet he knew Freud. Um, Everyone knew each other. Everyone knew each other, including Edith and Eleanor. No, there's literally no way that those two didn't know each other. Seriously. No I bet she was at her birthday party. Yeah, there's no way that they don't know each other. Yeah. So so Edith had her own children. She had Rosamond. She hated Rosamond. Rosamond knew it. Alice ended up having another kid by Hubert, whose name was John. So the weird thing about this, this was right after Alice miscarried again. So she hates Rosamond. She loves John. And I don't know if it was like, I just lost my baby and now I have this other one. But she loves John, which makes it even more awkward that she hates Rosamond. At one point, Fabian, when he was 15 year old, he needed um, like a tonsillectomy. And like, like Hubert and Edith were, they were living a, a, bohemian rock star lifestyle like edith was bringing in the money and when they started the fabian society hubert started um like a newspaper and they actually co-wrote some short stories together to go in this and he was he was like doing all the publishing for the fabian society so he started doing okay 
Um, so he was bringing in money. He was doing pretty well. And she was like, they got a small or they got a house in the countryside because they had money to be like, oh, we're country people now. So they were a little wild, though. And they think that, you know, maybe they weren't taking the best care of their children. Edith was notoriously all over the place. Like if she was in a good mood, everyone was having fun. Like the family, you know, like the kid, oh, it's just the best day ever. Mom's happy. And if she was upset, watch out. Everyone in the house is miserable. So we think maybe they weren't the best parents and maybe they weren't the most present or attentive. So Fabian, their 15 year old, needs to get uh, his tonsils out. And the doctor came, he needed to go under general anesthesia. Well, when you go under general anesthesia, you can't eat for 24 hours before that. I think mom and dad like forgot to tell him that or they weren't paying attention because he died after his surgery. He choked on his own vomit and they think it's because he had food in his stomach. And it was a little bit of negligence. And Edith loses it, loses her mind. And she says, oh, God, this is so bad. Why couldn't it have been Rosamond? No. Yeah, and Rosamond fucking heard. You know she heard. Of course. Yeah. As so as, it was bad. As Stephen Sondheim said, wrote, children will listen. <laughs> children will listen, and Rosamond did. So after Fabian died, she threw herself into her work. And this is when she started writing her children's stories. Um, these are what she's most well known for. They did make a few movies of these like back in the 70s or whatever. But her best known book is The Story of the Treasure Seekers, The Would-Be Goods, which is a story of like a middle class family who's fallen on hard times. The Railway Children, which that's the one that was a movie. You what? Boxcar Children? Yeah, it's the British version of the Boxcar Children. <laughs> and like the story of the amulet. There's there's a lot of magic uh, interwoven in these stories. And what makes them so good is that the, the stories are so grounded in reality. Like they're not in these fantastical worlds. We're not at Hogwarts. There are a lot of places that are well known it's very rooted in reality and then magic comes in and that's kind of what makes it so special and what resonated with kids so much like this could be real you know like how every 30 something year old is still waiting for their hogwarts letter because like i don't the way that some unnamed author wrote harry potter was like okay i mean we start in the the muggle world and the only reason we're not in the magical world is because we haven't gotten our letter, right? Like that's that's the hook. And the um, and even even the owl post has been suffering budget cuts. Yeah, you know what? Hard times, hard times. But she she threw herself into work, and this was her most productive three years of writing. She wrote all of these children's stories. Um, I read something that said her and Lewis Carroll both wrote like children's stories not for children like it wasn't written with children as the audience 
like Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland was written as absurdist, you know, political. It's it's hiding a lot of like I'm talking shit about a lot of political people at the time, but it reads like a children's story, right? So I've heard her described like that. Some people say she wrote children so well because she she considered herself a child. Like she just understood the way children speak and the way they think so well. Uh, it's like when, when we do improv and we have to play a kid and the note will be like, okay, but what would a kid like really say? You know, like I did a scene where, or I saw someone do a scene where they were like, you know, I don't know. They they were trying to do kid shit and it just wasn't funny because it didn't feel real. And then as soon as they started actually acting like a kid and trying not to say funny kid stuff, it was hilarious because they're just being honest like a kid. And that speaks, that can speak so truthfully or so false if you don't get it right. So her work was huge. She was immensely successful and she wrote this like, beautiful stories about magic and families that are intact and you know if they're not if you know mom and dad are absent like everything turns out well in the end it's very much about either like absent parents or parents who are having a hard time and then like the family comes together you know and and she just lived this like wild fucking socialist life and it was awesome I wonder if she was aware that she, to her, to Rosamond at least, was basically like the evil stepmother character of a children's book. Yes. She's, yeah. she's the villain of, you're always the villain of someone's story. Yes. So Hubert died in 1914 and she remarried this guy named Thomas the Skipper Tucker. Love it. And they moved out to Woolwich. Um, he was like he was like a ferry drive ferry boat driver. Okay. So they it just feels ended, more appropriate you know, then. It's not like a just a yes. man who's like the skipper. Please call me the skipper. Please now. call me the skipper. But she kind of like went from this crazy tumultuous whirlwind love, hate, romance, sex, you know. With everybody, a very unethically, a very unethically polyamorous relationship. Yes, yes. And then she met this man, um, Skip, <laughs> the skipper, and she wrote in her diary. She's like, for the first time in my life, I know what it is to truly have a man's whole heart. It's almost like Edith was a tempestuous sea and only the skipper knew how to calm her waves calm her navigate waves. her oh um she also hashtag stay toxic uh no. when when she was a girl and she first met hubert or like first got together with hubert she like scribbled in one of her journals in cutesy handwriting their names with a heart around it and then after Hubert died and she married Tucker, she wrote next to it in like heavy ink, biggest regret right <gasps> next to the right next to the heart. Oh my god, I love that. But it it's like it's kind of a lovely thing. Like she truly loved yeah. or thought she loved Hubert 
and she it gave her so much pain and so much strife and turmoil but she did love him and she did think that she did and then she finally got in a healthy relationship and she and, went, oh. and she could look back and be like that wasn't love yeah i've now found love fucked up that was hot and heavy and unhealthy and i felt so much yeah. that doesn't mean that it was love and if and if anything because it wasn't reciprocated and so she like went from this crazy wild life thinking she knew all of these things and felt all of these things and that the pain was okay and whatnot and then she found love and she had the love of this entire man and she she had that aha moment where she yeah. looked back and she was like oh shit, girl that was so <laughs> dumb um because when you read about her life as she's growing up it is very much like almost that poetic like "Ooh, bad things happen and it just makes me more tragic and interesting and whatever and it's yeah, she it, reads like a character from a victorian novel she does and and it said so like she was so like she drew so many people in like it says he, her and hubert were so like very like gregarious like people just wanted to be around them um they also a lot of descriptions of her being beautiful but her being beautiful in her own way she didn't wear a corset she wore this um these huge what they call them like freedom robes or something just like flowing robes and bangles and she cut her hair really short like if you look at pictures of her like in victorian styles they like curled them up so tight so it's hard to tell but she actually cut her hair very short and boyish and you know people were like weirdly turned on and drawn into that and i'm like they're like yeah that's hot different and weird and she just attracted so many people to her i mean one such person who she would have attracted to her because i did find something that does put her and eleanor in the same meetings <gasps> where so two things i was searching for while you were talking two things I found this article and they're just talking about meetings that Edith would have been at. And it says soon afterwards, other socialists in London began attending meetings. This included Eleanor Marx, Annie Besant, Olive Schreiner, Clementia Black, Sidney Webb and Beatrice Webb. Also then later, you could be a part of multiple uh, socialist societies. So just oh, yeah. because, just because uh, Eleanor Left. It wasn't like the sharks and the jets. Yeah. I mean, Eleanor started the Socialist League, which wasn't technically a direct rival and offshoot of the Social Democratic Federation. So I doubt that she still attended those meetings. Yeah. However, in 1885, Edith Nesbitt and Hubert Bland also joined the Social Democratic Fe Federation, which would have been the year that Eleanor, Ma uh, Eleanor Marx and Edward Aveling were members that would have been before they split off like even even they they still would have known each other outside of it so that's oh, just yeah. proof that they definitely fucking hung out oh for sure oh, oh man well we're just like staying toxic and you know i love to point out that puritans fuck and i love to point and i'll keep pointing out that victorians fucked too hell yes we think that that's literally all victorian that's all art is about let's not talk 
about how much we want to and are fucking. <laughs> it's just about death and fucking. Uh, <laughs> what Victorian culture was. Death and fucking. It's death and fucking. Title of my uh, memoir. <laughs> but I, I should mention, since, you know, we were airing, we're airing Edith's dirty laundry, that Eleanor at one point was the other woman. When she started seeing Edward Aveling, he was married, though separated. She considered herself his wife in all ways outside of the law mm-hmm. and ex- and fully expected him to marry her when her his husband or when his wife passed away. Yeah, um, he didn't. He instead secretly married somebody half his age and <laughs> set her up with uh, Eleanor's money. But just to further prove that everybody be fucking. Eleanor Everybody herself was the other woman. Um, Nat, since I, I know you like uh, reading, um, when I was trying to place Eleanor and Edith together, I Googled, I just Googled their names together, and I came up with this book. It's called The Women in the Room, Labor's Forgotten History. Mm-hmm. So add that to your list, nerds. I literally have that up in a tab. Yep. Nan Sloan, she also wrote a few articles. Um, three women, Edith Nesbitt, Edith Lan- Lanchester, and Eleanor Marks. And Edith Lanchester has a direct line to Eleanor Marks because Eleanor Marks hired her as her as her own secretary at one point. But it's yeah. wrong Edith. When I read when I read that, I, like the three names, I'm like, oh, they all know each other. And it was like, she knows Edith Lanchester. I was like, fuck. Yeah. But they would have they would have been at the same meetings. So like can confirm. We couldn't have gotten closer. I cannot believe this. Like it's we've been close I, before, but we've never been like, oh, we're both we're both founding in the same room. They're literally yeah. in the same room. Yes. We're both founding socialist organizations within a year of each other and hanging out with George Bernard Shaw. <laughs> like we couldn't have who knew that it was going to be? And George both our names start with E. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that it was going to be George Bernard Shaw that really brought it all together? If they lined up alphabetically by first name or last name, they would have been really yeah. close to each other. Yeah. Um. So this this might just be the lesbian in me, Natalie. But if we're casting these, you had said that um Eleanor was giving you like Rachel Vice vibes. Mm-hmm. Let's just go full disobedience. And let's cast Rachel McAdams as Edith. <gasps> and I know they're not like gay or whatever, but like, as I was reading all of this, I'm like, there's they've gotta have dabbled in a little bit of some of them. So yeah, let's just queer bait everyone. Yes, and put Rachel Vice and Rachel McAdams in a movie together, and they're like, oh my god, are they? Oh no, they just have shitty husbands. <laughs> They could turn to each other for comfort or at least yeah. complain about their toxic ass husbands. That's good. I'm obsessed with this. I saw you lose your mind when I said 1885 or eight, whatever year. It was literally you just said the year. I was like, what? What are the odds? Well, I think we learned a lot today and I think we discovered a lot. We discovered that um, when Cass and I don't, don't uh, speak for a week, our brains are doing the exact same things, just in different cities. Our powers only get stronger the farther <laughs> away we are. It's not that absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's that absence makes our powers grow stronger. <laughs> that said, um, never be away from me for that long ever again. I no, was never. sad. But 
I also have a, I have two, I have two discoveries to share. One is a discovery and one is a PSA. My discovery is a, I cannot believe that I'm saying this, but I found somebody on TikTok. <laughs> I'm young and hip. There is a creator on TikTok. Her name is Amanda Ribnick, R-I-B-N-I-C-K. And she is a singer songwriter and she has been doing She's been doing a Gilmore Girls rewatch and she has started doing like, what if Gilmore Girls was a musical? Stop it. Stop. And stop. I, I don't know. I don't want to hear the rest of it because I'm going to be obsessed. I know. Um, her song that's from Paris's perspective is probably my favorite. Oh, God. But not only is she just immensely talented also, and also like all, I get all the references because I've seen Gilmore Girls and it's just like mm -hmm. funny. And she like, she has stuff that's not Gilmore Girls related to all of her music is great i have seen two new musicals recently that one of my thoughts about them was that i these were fully produced new musicals and i felt like i was watching and i felt like i was watching an improvised musical or i felt like i had seen improvised musicals where the songs were better and catchier and the plots yeah. were better and catchier than these two new musicals amanda ribnick is just making just spinning gold. And also her style and her voice is like very much the style of like musical that I like. Mm -hmm. So um, it is pandering to me. The PSA is that it is, the holiday season is upon us. And if you didn't know, Backstreet Boys finally put out a Christmas album. Oh Christ. <laughs> oh Christ. So my PSA to you is just that don't worry, the Backstreet Boys finally have a Christmas album. I've not listened to it yet because at time of recording, it is before Thanksgiving and I actually hate Christmas music because I am the Grinch and I refuse to listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving at the very least. And even mm. though I only listen to Snowed In by Hanson, um, which is the best <laughs> album of all time, into the Bright Eyes Christmas album if I want to be sad. It's a very sad Christmas album, it's Bright Eyes. But PSA, Backstreet Boys Christmas album. Can I tell you my discovery? Please do. It's a rediscovery. Her name, uh, she's a comedian. She's on TikTok and everything. Her name's Elaine Carroll. <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh. I saw a video of hers. I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. And I like followed her or whatever. Turns out she was the comedian who originated the A Very Merry Kate. Mm -hmm. sketches where she plays Mary Kate Ashley and she tucks her little hands. She did, and... she did a very Mary Kate during 20, during COVID, during a I, lockdown. And I saw that, but she's so like, she's got the fake wig on. And then she did this video <laughs> where she's, she's the maid of honor in a very small town in like Ohio, a very Christian community. And she's the maid of honor for one of her best friends who's recently gotten into a polyamorous marriage. <laughs> and it's so funny. And I watched it, I was like, oh my God, it's a very Mary Kate. Go check out Elaine Carroll, she's hilarious. She's amazing, one of my best and friends And she now does like a Reese Witherspoon. Bit, of course, oh, that sounds fun. perfect for her. Mm -hmm. It is, it truly is. One of my best friends uh, from college had, when, when we were in college, had a uh, very Mary Kate themed. You know what? I don't actually think it was her party. I think she and I just attended a very Mary Kate themed party together. It may have been her birthday party. 
you know what? You definitely went to acting school because not many people would have obscure a very Mary Kate. Oh, I can find. I'll find pictures. Well, I'll, I'll hung out with nerds. I'll include a photo uh, of me in, you know, like a soft beret with a couple scarves <laughs> at, at this very Mary Kate birthday party. That's magical. You know what, Nat? This whole episode has been magical. It really has. Like just a gift, almost like a Christmas gift, which Taylor and I have had a very serious conversation about how early I'm allowed to put Christmas up. I'm usually very strict, not until after Thanksgiving, but like we might be out of town. So like, what if we set it up a little earlier? I, thanks for rubbing in the fact that I won't be able to put up any decorations because I still live at my office for those. Oh, I'm so home. sorry. Because I do Black Friday, I put on my soft pants. Oh. It, let's be clear, I, I change from one pair of soft pants into <laughs> a different pair of soft pants. My softer soft pants. Yes, I go from night soft pants to day soft pants. <laughs> Usually put on uh, made-for-TV holiday movies. And make myself a big old cup of hot cocoa maybe mm. maybe i put an an adult elixir in there maybe i don't who knows and i uh and i put up the tree at the very least and that's magical it's been black friday magical but not this year because i live in a hole oh sweet sweet nat if i could wish for one thing for christmas it would be for you to have a home <laughs> would be great home for the holidays i wish <laughs> From your lips to Jonathan Taylor Thomas's ears. <laughs> um, if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, uh, send them to our email, sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. There will be great side-by-side -side pics on the gram. Mm -hmm. That's at sharedpod. That's on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. If you have edith and eleanor fanfic you can all Ooh. send that to shared history podcast at gmail.com you know if you have nat and cast fanfic hell yeah yeah can we go wanna, fight some mummies or something i want to know what what we do yeah what adventures we get into Ooh. What, um, what our powers are and how they grow stronger <laughs> um but until next time stay toxic and also <laughs> share, share you later, later.